Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. I still can't believe we've reached 100 episodes, and I want to thank all the people who reshared the news and congratulated the debrief. And I want to share in my joy with you how exciting that is and also promise you that there is a lot more to come. I have so many ideas, so many guests on my list and things that I can't wait to share with you. And one of those things is speaking solo, doing solo episodes. So far, I did one on virtual visits a long time ago, and then I did one on major gifts, although that was very much rooted in guests. And I've been given the feedback that I should talk more about my own experience and my own expertise, but I will admit that I have been nervous to do that, and it's felt very vulnerable for me. So I'm starting 101 with doing something a little bit outside of the box for me and making myself a little bit uncomfortable, which people always say is a good thing. Last week, I went to AFP's New York City chapter of fundraising day at the Marriott Marquis, and I had an absolute blast. I was so excited to get dressed up, put on my blazer, my heels because I knew that the air conditioning was going to be pumping and head to Midtown to meet up with friends who I haven't seen maybe in years and then also meet some people in person that I've connected with on LinkedIn or other mediums. I was there just to enjoy and see people but also to speak on a panel and the panel was called Demystifying the Ask. And again, it's not lost on me that this is episode 101 and we are talking Making the Ask 101. Loving the synergy. The panel, however, was with Adam Doino, Lee Reed, and it was moderated by Stan Smith. They had amazing things to add and I will admit doing panels are so much more fun in person because you can really kind of respond and react to your fellow panelists a lot easier than on zoom so thank you guys if you're listening for doing that with me i i really really enjoyed it i was nervous about the topic i was worried that demystifying the ask might not be interesting to people it's sort of geared towards new people to the field and i didn't know how much interest there would be Well, I walk in to a pretty much full session and I found out later that they actually put a sign on the door that no more people could enter, which really, really surprised me because I just didn't know what kind of reaction we were going to get. And we actually asked people to raise their hand if they had a year or less experience, five years or less, or 10 years and above. And I was again surprised that the room was pretty much 30-30-30 split. It got me to thinking, I do think that we have a lot of new people in roles in the last several months. There's, As we know, there's been a lot of turnover, even to the point where at the conference it became a bit of a running joke. When panels would introduce themselves, they would say that they were hiring and that if anyone wanted to talk to them afterwards, they were available. So I think that it's some of those factors, but I also was thinking about the people who had 10 plus years of experience. And 
I don't think they were coming to learn how to make the ask. I think they were coming because they were curious to hear what other approaches are and perhaps to just try some new things. Then it got me to thinking even more that maybe part of why I was nervous for this panel is because it's kind of a private thing to share how you do the ask because so often you're it's just one-on-one -on -one and no one else is there. Of course, I did do an ask recently where my boss was there and I, I was definitely nervous having that audience. But you could also have the audience of a volunteer or academic leadership. But more often than not, at least in my experience, I am one-on-one -on -one with the donor. So I'm going to walk us through the outline of the panel and share some of the answers that I shared. So let's start with the individual giving process. That is where I have the most experience. So I think everyone knows that the traditional phases of the ask are discovery, cultivation, making the actual ask, then oftentimes you aren't getting an answer in the moment, so closing. Hopefully that's not months after, but it could be. Part of closing is documenting the gift, and then finally stewardship. So all of these steps are critical. I don't think that's ever going to change. What I think has changed is in some cases, the timeline of those phases. I'll start with discovery. Don't fight it. Don't fight the anxiety over creating a pipeline, getting meetings. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to look at a list and say, oh my gosh, I don't know any of these people. Where am I going to begin? But that's not going to help you. I think what I try to do is look at the list with excitement and get curious and just start Googling some of the people that you see and reading the profiles and seeing what gets you excited. And I truly believe that will come across in your outreach. Like the, the positive energy that you're coming towards the process with will, will make its way across the screen. And cultivation can have so many different phases and types, but often when I think about it, it's bringing a donor into the institution, introducing them to leaders, talking about subject matter that they're passionate about, really spending time getting to know what their priorities are and how they align with the institution. So once you know that, the next is the ask. And what I really highlighted on the panel was that the ask should not be a surprise. Donors know when they're meeting with you that they are walking down that path with you. That's why I always recommend that you include your signature in your email. You don't want there to be any sense of sneakiness. You are a fundraiser, you are a gift officer, and you are looking to meet with them to eventually close a gift. So it's a good thing to remember that if someone took a meeting with you, nine times out of 10, they know that. What I like to say is, would you be open to having a conversation with me about making a significant commitment to our organization? Another thing you could say is, would you consider having a conversation about a gift? It's all, I like to put everything in question format, basically ask for permission. And that was something that I learned really early on is getting permission every step of the way, asking if they are open to having a conversation. And so, they should know whether you've said something like that prior to the ask or you're saying it on the day of the ask, it should be very clear. 
The idea of slipping an envelope across the table with an amount and an ask or even a gift pyramid, I really think is a mistake. I think you want to have an open conversation about what other gifts they've given in the past or what they might imagine themselves giving in the future. And that doesn't have to be scary if you're having open-ended, honest conversations. Now, once you've made the ask, it's likely that you won't get the answer that day. That's always my least favorite part is you have to be patient. And it could be a couple weeks later. It could be a couple months later. But what I like to be sure of doing is to say, thank you so much for your consideration. I will be in touch over the next week to see if you've come to any kind of conclusion. The other thing you can ask is, what do you think would be a good timeline for me to follow up? You will get an answer. They will say either they're about to go away or they'll know in the next week or if you ask in the summer, they might say the fall would be a better time to follow up. Anything you aren't sure about, literally just ask them. The ask is not only about the number and the allocation. It's about the whole process of bringing this person into your institution's community. And of course, I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't say the most important thing is once you get the number out, stop talking. This can feel uncomfortable and is uncomfortable for most people, but it is the absolute most important thing. Because the first thing that comes out of their mouth, the person who you're asking, is going to be very informative for you. And it's going to give you information However they respond, it's going to guide your next steps. In terms of the documentation of the gift, I really try to get that to the donor within 24 to 48 hours to show that, assuming they've said yes, we're very excited and that we're taking them seriously and we're ready to go because that's always the case. And you don't want them to think that you're just sitting on this along with a pile of other to-dos. In terms of stewardship, this is always a hard one, but I think something that's underrated that I've really enjoyed doing is having volunteers, and especially high-level volunteers, make the call and thank somebody. That means so much. It helps donors to feel seen. It adds weight and gravity to the commitment that they've made. So it's a simple one, but I highly recommend it because I've seen it be very meaningful. I firmly believe that getting the meeting is the hardest part. That and the follow-up. I mainly use email. It's critical to be persistent. I probably, sometimes I'll email someone up to six times before they respond. But I will say for the New York City network, people do appreciate the persistence. It helps them see that they're not just a name on a list that you're going down, that you really do want to meet with them. And I do think that personalizing emails is smart. However, I will caution that spending an hour or two per email is not the best use of time. Because at the end of the day, someone's going to respond or they aren't. And I would hate to see you wasting time. So instead, I like to say things like, I'm reaching out to prestigious alumni, or I'm reaching out to our most generous supporters, of which you are one, sort of giving them an indication of why they came across your desk. If they wrote a book or own a company or something that's like very rudimentary and obvious, certainly reference it, especially if you are genuinely interested in it. And I find that oftentimes I am. So that's another one where it helps people see 
you want to meet with them specifically. You're not trying to hit a quota. In terms of prepping for a meeting, this is the fun part. You have the meeting booked, you're excited, you know that it's coming up, and you need to figure out what your plan is. Now, what I recommend is actually writing out a list of questions that you have for that person. And I would do it purely based on like the research data and the Google search. Why did you choose to live where you live? What led you to your career? What are your personal passions and hobbies? What's your connection to our institution? These are all basic questions that will help you get to know somebody. When I first started out, it was recommended to me to offer an update on the institution as part of the meeting, and I don't think that's the best way to go. I think you want your email outreach to be two paragraphs or less, and asking to meet with them so that you can get to know them and their experience with the institution and perhaps connect them with the exciting work being done at yours. But the primary goal is to get to know them. Whether it's the first meeting or the fifth, I never think you're too advanced to do some role playing. And I've done this forever. You can practice asking some questions. You can talk through your meeting plan with a colleague. This will really help you feel prepared. Also knowing that the meeting could change. You could get there and only get 10 minutes with the person. And so then now that you've done that prep, you know what the three things are that you wanna walk out of there with. Now, speaking of three things, I typically wanna walk out with knowing whether or not they're interested in pursuing a relationship with the institution, whether or not they have capacity and whether or not they have interest. And the best way to find out if they have interest is to close with asking for the next meeting. And if you get a green light there, that was a successful meeting. You could bring volunteers, but generally speaking, I do recommend that you have your meeting one-on-one -on -one first because you just don't know if someone is going to have the things that I just outlined, if they're going to have the inclination towards the institution, if they have the capacity. I can't tell you how many times I sat down with someone and they said, you know, I'm actually going through a career change or I'm working through a health crisis with my child or I'm going through a divorce. And you're going to feel embarrassed if someone says that and you're sitting with a dean or a president or a CEO. It's not your fault per se, but you could have determined that earlier and it would be a better use of everyone's time. In terms of who makes the ask, you can talk about that with the person that you're doing your work with. This is a very personal thing. Some people do like to be asked by volunteers or leadership. Some people don't care who they're asked by. But take the time to sit down and think about who might be the best person. You also might have the opportunity to ask a volunteer if they know what this person's preference is. In terms of determining the ask amount, what I really enjoy doing is asking them about a meaningful and impactful gift that they've had in the past or ask them what is the gift that they're most proud of. More likely than not, they will light up and tell you about a really special experience. They may or may not tell you exactly how much the gift was, but you can always follow up with saying something like, was this a gift in the six figures or was this a gift in the seven figures? Or you could say, it's amazing that was your most meaningful gift. Was that your largest gift? And then a great follow-up for that is to say, could you imagine giving a gift on that scale to our institution? Could you imagine replicating that? What would that look like for you? 
And that can really lead into a very interesting and productive conversation. Whatever they tell you, you should consider it fair game to follow up. So I think what where people make mistakes is someone might drop something about an art collection or about their four kids in college or their parents and then the fundraiser just like moves on to their next question but it's like wait you know that was just a really important breadcrumb so I also think deep listening and following up with whatever is shared is going to lead you in the direction that you ultimately want to be now we were asked about rituals on the day of the ask and I love this question so much because I don't have like really detailed specific rituals but I do like to pump myself up with music and like sometimes, you know, jump up and down or do something to get blood flow. And then I also really try to make sure that I'm wearing something that I feel confident in because I know that ultimately I'm going to do a better job. I still get nervous. I did the calculations. I've done over a thousand prospect visits and I still get nervous when I sit down across from somebody because you just don't know what's going to happen. And I think that's okay. It's okay to have an equal part nerve and excitement leading up to a meeting because it means that you're invested and you want it to go well. And that's a really good thing. Now, if the donor says yes, you share in your delight and you tell them that you will be following up shortly. Even if they say no, that's okay. You don't need to immediately wrap up the conversation or try to get out of there as fast as possible, which honestly is kind of the knee-jerk reaction. I actually really recommend getting curious, asking them, what about it is the, is it the no? Is it the timing? Is it the gift amount? Is it that they wanted someone else in the room? Recently, I asked someone that question and they said that they had just made a huge commitment somewhere else. And I asked them if it was for the same amount or more than I had just asked for and they actually shared that it was more and they shared the number. Even though that was a no, that was really valuable information to have, to know that the family is making gifts on that level and that the ask that we had come up with wasn't so wrong. It was just the timing. Now, if a donor puts their number out first, more often than not, that number is lower than it perhaps could have been because they're they're beating you to the punch. And that's okay. That Sometimes it's good. They're excited and they have clearly thought about it, which I think is another really great indication. Of course, the first thing to do is to thank them, but you don't need to necessarily accept the offer right away. So one of the things you could do is ask them how they came up with that number, or you could ask them how they were thinking about making that commitment, and again, turn it into a conversation. And you might be surprised to see how that number will change after you've gone through some of those questions and learned a little bit more about the family or the donor. The last thing that we talked about was pro tips. So I'm just going to share a couple of mine. If you're getting a lot of resistance or it's a challenging meeting, something that I like to do that I find very disarming is asking them why they took the meeting. And that's with all due respect. You took the meeting with me. What were you hoping to get out of our conversation and you learn something really interesting from that I also always want to make sure that the prospect knows the ask is coming and so sometimes that's an email that says I'd like to have a follow-up conversation with you about a future commitment to the institution so that they are primed and ready another one is physically standing while cold calling 
that just sometimes helps me feel more confident and powerful. I learned that one back at Trinity College. Sometimes picking up the phone, I know it's daunting, but if you send an email, follow up with phone, it can increase your likelihood. Another one that I do religiously is writing notes down directly after the meeting. You never know what you might forget. And oftentimes, if you ask the questions that I'm suggesting here, you will get a lot of information. So immediately writing them down, even if you're heading to your next meeting, I put them in my notes uh, in my phone and I revisit them later, but at least I have them. And then I really try to make a practice of putting prospect notes in within 24 hours of the meeting because that information is just so critical and it's so easy to forget to do that because there are a million other things you're doing with follow-up. I can't claim coming up with this listening more, talking less. I've heard people say that listening two-thirds of the time and talking one-third of the time is the perfect ratio, but just being aware of that. And find your pump-up song. What is it that you listen to that really gets you revved up and excited? I hope you enjoyed this brief session talking about some high-level thoughts around making the ask. I am happy to dive deeper with you. If you have interest, you can reach out to me. You can send me a message on LinkedIn, like on at devdebrief, and check out my website at www.devdebrief.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my vulnerable episode, hopefully helping you as you're planning into the summer and thinking about a lot of excitement and asks in the fall. Good luck!